0: Ideas, products, messages, and behaviors spread in the same way that epidemics do and can be controlled just like viruses. The Tipping Point tells the story of remarkable and mysterious changes in everyday life. What is responsible for the sudden transformation of unknown books into bestsellers? How does a fashion trend emerge? What kick-started the rise in teenage smoking? Why was there a sharp decline in the crime rate in New York City in the early 90s? What about the sudden transformation of the Hush Puppies brand in 1995-96? These cases are examples of epidemics in action. While they may seem unrelated, they have the same underlying pattern. First, they are all clear examples of contagious behavior. A small number of people in a small number of situations started acting in a certain way and it spread to other situations. The second feature of these epidemics is that little changes have big effects. The changes that led to the drop in crime rate in New York were incremental changes. The final characteristic is that the changes happen in a hurry. There is always a dramatic moment when things turn around. This dramatic change in an epidemic is called the tipping point. It is the most significant characteristic of epidemics because it provides insight into why these changes happen the way that they do. It also helps us to understand the first two features of epidemics. For example, yawning is an incredibly contagious behavior. The different ways you can contract yawning also shows that contagiousness is an awkward property of all kinds of things. If we are to recognize and diagnose epidemic change, we must keep this in mind. The second principle of epidemics challenges our inclination for proportionality. We think it is impossible for a small number of people to start a trend that becomes global. We must learn that epidemics are an example of geometric progression. To appreciate the power of epidemics, we have to abandon this explanation about proportionality. We need to prepare ourselves for the possibility that sometimes big changes follow from small events, and that sometimes these changes can happen very quickly. The tipping point is the moment of critical mass, the threshold, the boiling point. The world of the tipping point is a place where the unexpected becomes expected, where radical change is more than possibility. It is, contrary to all our expectations, a certainty. By learning about three fascinating kinds of people, mavens, connectors, and salesmen, who play a critical role in epidemics that dictate our tastes, trends, and fashion, you will be able to answer two questions. Why do some concepts or brands go viral while others do not? What can we do to create and control our own epidemics? You will learn how to structure messages to have maximum possible impact and the tipping points that govern group life. Epidemics are a function of the transmitters of infectious agents, the infectious agent itself, and the environment in which the infectious agent is operating. An epidemic of syphilis hit the city of Baltimore in the mid-1990s. Between 1995 and 1996 alone, the number of children born with the disease increased by 500%. Three explanations were given for the drastic increase. The Center for Disease Control, CDC, blamed it on crack cocaine. John Zienelman, an expert on sexually transmitted diseases from John Hopkins University, blamed it on the breakdown of medical services in the city's poorest neighborhoods. John Potterot, one of the country's leading epidemiologists, attributed it to the physical changes that affected East and West Baltimore. In the mid-the 1990s, the city of Baltimore embarked on a highly publicized demolitions of the old public housing high-rises. This house dislocation process forced people to move to other parts of Baltimore, carrying with them the disease which used to be confined to a specific region in Baltimore. None of these explanations is dramatic. This proves that it takes only the smallest of changes to shatter an epidemic's equilibrium. Another striking fact about these explanations is that all of them are describing a very different way of tipping an epidemic. Thus, when an epidemic tips, it is because a change has occurred in at least one of the tipping areas. These three agents of change can be described as the law of the few, the stickiness factor, and the power of context. Economists often talk about the 80-20th principle, which is the idea that in any situation roughly 80% of the work will be done by 20% of the participants. When it comes to epidemics, this disproportionality becomes even more extreme. A tiny percent age of people do the majority of the work. Social epidemics work in exactly the same way. They are also driven by the efforts of a handful of exceptional people. Epidemics can also tip when something happens to transform the epidemic agent itself. In virology, it is known that viruses can mutate. They can become deadlier with time. For example, the strains of HIV that were circulating back in the 1950s were a lot different from the strains of HIV that circulate today. They were every bit as contagious. But they were weak enough that most people, even small children, were able to fight them off and survive them. The HIV epidemic tipped in the early 1980s, not just because of the changes in people's sexual behaviors, but also because the virus itself changed. Once it infected you, you stayed infected. It stuck. The idea of the importance of stickiness in tipping has enormous implications for the way we regard social epidemics as well. We tend to spend a lot of time thinking about how to make messages more contagious, how to reach as many people as possible with our products or ideas. But the hard part of communication is often figuring out how to make sure a message doesn't go in one ear and out the other. Stickiness means that a message makes an impact. You can't get it out of your head. It sticks in your memory. The stickiness factor says that there are specific ways of making a contagious message memorable. There are relatively simple changes in the presentation and structuring of information that can make a big difference in how much of an impact it makes. The power of context says that human beings are a lot more sensitive to their environment than they may seem. The key to getting people to change their behavior sometimes lies with the smallest details of their immediate situation. For example, when people are in a group, responsibility for acting is diffused. This is called the bystander problem. You are more likely to get help if you are in distress in a lonely place than if the place was crowded. Everyone assumes someone else will help you until no one helps you. The three rules of the tipping point, the law of the few, the stickiness factor, and the power of context, offer us a way of making sense of epidemics. They provide us with direction for how to go about reaching a tipping point. The next blink shows how these principles apply to other situations. Word of mouth is still the most important form of human communication despite the technological advancements made in the mass communication age. On April 19, 1775, the Battles of Lexington and Concord gave birth to the American Revolution. The British Army had planned to take the colonial militia by surprise. However, they were shocked to find that the colonial militia was battle-ready. This battle-readiness was caused by the effort of a young boy and a silversmith named Paul Revere. The boy overheard one British Army officer say to another something about hell to pay tomorrow. He told Revere and Revere took this rumor seriously. Together with his friend Joseph Warren, he resolved to warn the leaders of the American Revolution. They rode across the towns, knocking on doors and delivering the warning. Paul Revere's ride is perhaps the most famous historical example of a word-of-mouth epidemic. A piece of extraordinary news traveled a long distance in a very short time, mobilizing an entire region to arms. But people pass on all kinds of information to each other all the time. It is only in the rare instance that such an exchange ignites a word-of-mouth epidemic. Why is it that some ideas and trends and messages tip and others don't? The answer is that the success of any kind of social epidemic is heavily dependent on the involvement of people with a particular and rare set of social gifts. These people are critical to social epidemics and what makes someone like Paul Revere different from other people carrying rumors. They are called connectors, mavens, and salesmen. Six Degrees of Separation says that a very small number of people are linked to everyone else in a few steps, and the rest of us are linked to the world through those special few. Stanley Milgram, a psychologist, conducted an experiment in the late 1960s to find how human beings are connected. The concept of six degrees of separation comes from Milgram's experiment. There is a specific set of people who link us up with the world. They introduce us to our social circles. We rely on them more than we realize. These people are connectors. They have a special gift for bringing the world together. A criterion to become a connector is that you know a lot of people. There is someone in our circle who knows a lot of people. Sprinkled among every walk of life are a handful of people with a truly extraordinary knack of making friends and acquaintances. They genuinely like people and find patterns of acquaintanceship and interaction in which people arrange themselves to be endlessly fascinating. Connectors master the weak tie. A friendly yet casual social connection. Most of us have a circle of friends to whom we are devoted. We have acquaintances we keep at arm's length simply because we don't know how to maintain that type of relationship. We are often scared of becoming close friends with them. In truth, acquaintances represent a source of social power, and the more acquaintances you have, the more powerful you are. We rely on connectors, the masters of the weak tie, to give us access to opportunities and worlds to which we don't belong. Connectors are important for more than simply the number of people they know. Their importance is also a function of the kinds of people they know. They are people whom all of us can reach in only a few steps because, for one reason or another, they manage to occupy many different worlds, subcultures and niches. Their ability to span many different worlds is a function of something intrinsic to their personality, some combination of curiosity, self, confidence, sociability, and energy. Social epidemics reveal that we have people we depend on for connection with other people and there are those we rely upon to connect us with new information. The point about connectors is that by having a foot in so many different worlds, they have the effect of bringing them all together but they are not sufficient to start an epidemic. They are basically people specialists. There are people who are information specialists. Paul Revere was both a people specialist and an information specialist. Information specialists are the second of the three kinds of people who control word-of-mouth epidemics. They are called mavens. The word maven comes from the Yiddish, and it means one who accumulates knowledge. In recent years, economists have spent a great deal of time studying mavens, for the obvious reason that if marketplaces depend on information, the people with the most information must be the most important. The critical thing about mavens, though, is that they aren't passive collectors of information. It isn't just that they are obsessed with how to get the best deal on a can of coffee. What sets them apart is that once they figure out how to get that deal, they want to tell you about it too. A maven is a person who has information on a lot of different products or prices or places. This person likes to initiate discussions with consumers and respond to requests. They like to be helpers in the marketplace. They distribute coupons. They take you shopping. They go shopping for you. They distribute about four times as many coupons as other people. This is the person who connects people to the marketplace and has the inside scoop on the marketplace. They know where the bathroom is in retail stores. They are more than experts. An expert talks about what they love. A maven not only talks about things they love, but they also want to help you with your decision. They are more socially motivated than others in the group. For a social epidemic to start, some people actually have to be persuaded to do something. The one thing that a maven is not is a persuader. This brings us to the third type of people, salesmen. Salesmen have the skills to persuade us when we are unconvinced of what we are hearing, and they are as critical to the tipping of of word-of-mouth epidemics as the other two groups. Mavens are data banks. Connectors are social glue. Salesmen apply the pressure needed for you to make a decision. What makes salesmen so effective? They know how to harness the concept of subtle persuasion. There is a simple way to package information that, under the right circumstances, can make it irresistible. They know that little things can make as much difference as big things. They do not make you feel like you have lost autonomy. The second reason is that they know that non-verbal cues are as or more important than verbal cues. The third is that persuasion often works in ways that we do not appreciate. The law of the few says that every social epidemic starts as a result of the work of three types of persons, salesmen, mavens, and connectors. To start an epidemic, you need to employ some means to translate your message into a language everyone can understand." The tipping point has been concerned so far with defining epidemics and explaining the principles of epidemic transmission. In everyday life, however, the problems and situations we face don't always embody the principles of epidemics so neatly. The diffusion model describes how a contagious idea, product, or innovation moves through a population. This model was developed by sociologists to describe different groups within a population, namely, the innovators, the early adopters, the early majority, the late majority, and the laggards. The innovators are the adventurous members of the community. They are fearless and are always open to exploring a new concept or idea. They are the smallest portion of society. The early adopters are a slightly larger group who get infected by the innovators. They are the respected, thoughtful people in a community. They watch and analyze what the wild innovators are doing before they plunge in. Next comes the early majority and the late majority. They are the deliberate and the skeptical mass who would only act after the respected members of the community have tried out the innovation. The laggards are the ones who are never in a hurry to change. But innovations don't just slide effortlessly from one group to the next. There is a chasm between them. All kinds of high-tech products fail, never making it beyond the early adopters, because the companies that make them can't find a way to transform an idea that makes perfect sense to an early adopter into one that makes perfect sense to a member of the early majority. This is where connectors, mavens, and salesmen play their most important role. They are the ones who make it possible for innovations to overcome this problem of the chasm. They are translators, they take ideas and information from a highly specialized world and translate them into a language the rest of us can understand. Translation requires that mavens, connectors, and salesmen alter an idea in such a way that extraneous details are dropped and other aspects of the message are exaggerated. This alteration or modification makes the message acquire a deeper meaning. Contagiousness is in large part a function of the messenger while stickiness is primarily a property of the message. The central observation of those who study suicide is that, in some places and under some circumstances, the act of one person taking his or her own life can be contagious. Suicides can lead to suicides. David Phillips, a sociologist at the University of California at San Diego, conducted a number of studies on suicide. He gathered records of highly publicized suicides in the 1940s and 1960s and matched them with fatal accidents that happened after the suicides were publicized. The conclusion from the data was that one of the ways in which people commit suicide is by deliberately crashing their cars after the publicized suicides. People became susceptible to the contagious effects of a highly publicized suicide. This kind of contagion is not rational, conscious or as a result of persuasive argument. It comes from imitation. It is as if one is getting permission to act from someone else who is engaging in a deviant behavior. How much of our decisions as humans are conscious? Human decisions are subtle and complicated and not very well understood. As it is with suicide, so it is with teenage smoking. Whether a teenager picks up the habit of smoking depends on whether he or she has contact with one of those salesmen who give teenagers permission to engage in deviant acts. The teen smoking epidemic also illustrates the stickiness factor because many of the teenagers end up continuing their cigarette experiment until they get hooked. The smoking experience is so memorable and powerful for some people that they cannot stop smoking. The habit sticks. To stop the spread of smoking, we can employ two possible strategies. 1. Prevent the permission givers from smoking in the first place. The rebellious teens are hardly likely to listen to rational health advice. They will continue to smoke because their icons are smoking. Convince all those who look to the permission givers for permission to look elsewhere to get their cues as to what is cool from adults. There is no easy choice here. One requires the role models to lead by example and the other requires parents to shift their children's attention from these role models. As studies have shown, the environmental influence that helps children become who they are is their peer group. Conclusion What the stories told in The Tipping Point all share in common is their modesty. They are not elaborate, multimedia campaigns. They teach that starting epidemics requires concentrating resources on some low-key areas. The law of the few says that connectors, mavens, and salesmen are responsible for starting word-of-mouth epidemics, which means that if you are interested in starting a word-of-mouth epidemic, your resources ought to be concentrated on those three groups. In the end, the tipping point is all about reframing the way we think about the world. We need to understand that band-aid solutions can be real solutions. There are times when we need a convenient shortcut and make a lot out of a little. The world does not accord with our intuition. We have problem estimating dramatic, exponential change. But those who are successful at creating social epidemics do not just do what they think is right. They deliberately test their intuitions. What must underlie successful epidemics, in the end, is a bedrock belief that change is possible, that people can radically change their behaviors or beliefs in the face of the right kind of impetus. In high school, it was not uncommon to get a nickname. Some of my colleagues went by different nicknames. I got a few myself. Not all aliases were welcomed by the people christened by them. However, what I found fascinating was the fact that there were about one or two persons in the whole school who wielded the power to determine which nicknames stuck and which didn't. Once they chose to call you by an alias, be sure it will stick with you for the rest of your stay in the school, if not your entire life. Can you identify some people in your life who have this kind of power?